Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for the privilege to come with my brothers and my sisters, your sons and your daughters, that we all together as a family can study to show ourselves approved unto you, being workmen that need not be ashamed, for we have rightly divided your words of truth. Lord, we humble ourselves in your sight upon our knees, and we ask you for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We need him so desperately. And Father, I just ask that you'll do something special with this clay. You know the nervousness in my heart that I always have coming before thy people. But Lord, I know that you can take control of the mind and the mouth and just give what you want to be given. Do so even now in a marked manner. And I pray that not only would you bless everybody else, I am asking that you'll do something special for my own heart. I'm praying that while you are truly blessing others, don't pass me by. Help all of us to leave here refreshed and edified as a result of coming in contact with Jesus. Is our prayer that we ask today in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a few things that I wanted to say. Uh, the first thing is this. It is amazing how often when Jesus would teach and preach that he was misunderstood. It was not because what Jesus said was confusing, but it's because sometimes we're thinking and listening at the same time, and you know, sometimes it causes us maybe not to hear things clearly. And uh, it kept coming in my mind, make this point of clarification, make this point of clarification. So because it kept coming in my mind, I said, well, let me go ahead and do that. I, I stand before you unflinchingly convinced that there is more that God wants to do in, to, and through his people. I'm convinced of that. I have been part of this movement for 25 years, and I've seen in my own life, as well as in the lives of many, far more talk than power. And God is not desirous that we stay in that condition. We are, ter we, we are incredibly, rather, intellectual. We are very smart people, for those of us who study a lot. You know, I've, I've, I've sat with some of the most brilliant minds in Adventism, those who are popular, and in the, the mainstream preaching circuit, as well as many who people do not know about, but they are some of God's shining stars that we will see them best when midnight comes. And I know that there's a large amount of intellect that we have in our movement, but I've also seen amongst some of the high-level intellectuals, I've seen character qualities that I know are character qualities of Satan. In fact, these character qualities were even in my own heart. It amazes me how we can know so much gospel truth. I'll give you something so incredibly simple. How is it that a man and that a woman can know so much of the Bible, know so much of the spirit of prophecy, yet if they have difference with a brother, they talk to other people about it rather than the brother? I mean, that's like ABC Bible, Matthew 18, 15 through 18. The Bible's very clear on that. You got an issue with your brother? Do not go around talking and gossiping with other fellow workers, fellow Christians, fellow whatever. Go to the brother and go solve the issue. Some people say, oh, it's not personal. Read Heavenly Places, page 292. And when you read Heavenly Places, page 292, Ellen White says she marveled at how God's people have neglected to follow the simple teachings of Matthew 18. She said, many will say, oh, no, it's nothing personal. And they use that as a means of why they don't go to the brother. And Ellen White says the words of God are explicitly stated in Matthew 18, that you are still to go to your brother. You know, and that's just one of literally a thousand examples. And so what I, I believe is that we need more power. Now, I am not, I've learned to appreciate the simplicity of the gospel. 
the simplicity of the gospel. There was a picture that was shown to me, and it was on Facebook. Some of you probably saw this picture. I believe that this picture beautifully represents what Christ wants to do with his people. It's a picture of Jesus. I don't have it, you know, or anything. I couldn't find it. But it's a picture of Jesus. And Jesus has, uh, uh, Jesus is talking to a little girl. Some of you might have seen this picture. And when Jesus is talking to the little girl, Jesus has one hand like this. He has another hand like this. The hand that is like this is suggesting, give me what you have. The little girl had a little teddy bear. So the, the cartoon, the, the, the little girl is holding on to the, and you know, the, she's holding on to the teddy bear with reluctancy. You know, like, I don't really want to give this to Jesus. Even though Jesus with perfect smile, lovely countenance is saying, give me your bear. But what she did not see was the teddy bear that was at least five times the size of her little teddy bear that she cherished so much. And it was, simp- it was to make a very simple point that when God calls us from something, or God calls us to something. He always has something better in store for us than what we presently have or the present position we're in. God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or think. That is the real key point that I want to get across. And so I said that yesterday. And this is the point that I want to bring clarification just in the event that somebody might have had a point of confusion. I talked about the disciples. And I talked about how, how is it? And I, and I still marvel at this. How is it that Peter could say a prayer to tell Tabitha to get up, and he never asked God, Lord, if it's your will, let this happen? He already knew it was God's will. How is it that Peter can go to a man and John, and they go to a man at the gate called Beautiful, and they literally know how to say to that brother, listen, I don't have money, but I do have something. I mean, they knew. This was no guesswork. And no, neither was it conceit. They knew what God gave them. There's nothing wrong when a gospel worker understands these are the gifts God has given to me. And then what he wants you to do is he wants you to intellectually and intelligently, he wants you practically to cultivate that gift. And so it is, they say, look, I know what I don't have, but I know what I do have. And so he said, in the name of Jesus, get up and start walking. Again, they knew that God was in agreement with their statement. And so there was no hesitancy. I do not see that in medical missionary work. Now, listen to what I'm saying carefully. I do not see that in a broad, sweeping manner in medical missionary work. What I was not seeing yesterday was that we need to start seeing a whole bunch of miraculous healing. That was not even my point. You heard me say yesterday that I said using the modalities, using herbs and poultices, etc. My thing is, is how many of us have confidence when we apply the poultice do the hydrotherapy treatment, or whatever the treatment is. How many of us have the kind of confidence that Peter had that we know this individual is going to leave UT Pines healed? How many of us have that kind of confidence because our minds are so in tune with Christ in the most holy place? This is the issue. It's not about just seeing a whole bunch of miraculous healing. I firmly believe God does still do miraculous healing. I want to make that clear. But God, and by the way, It's a miracle you woke up this morning. You understand that? If we understood, as the prophet tells us, of the war that takes place when we're asleep and how those demons want to do everything possible 
to make sure that we do not rise. But thank God for angels that excel in strength. And that's why you're up breathing and listening to me even right now. So that's a miracle in and of itself. So I know for a fact God still wants to do plenty, plenty, plenty miracles. And if he chooses to do it without an assisting agency or with an assisting agency, it's still a miracle. You understand that? And so God wants to do something special with us as we think about gospel, medical, missionary, evangelism. God wants to do something special with us. But we have to be prepared to receive what heaven so desperately wants to give. And the question is, what is it that God wants to give? Luke, the 11th chapter. This is what the Bible says. We're going to talk about it. Luke, the 11th chapter, because I want this power. I know how to talk. I know how to preach. And I know how to teach. But my brothers and sisters, there's something God wants to do beyond talking, preaching, and teaching. God wants to endow us with power, power that is beyond what the world has to offer. Right now, you're going to Luke 11, but what the world offers right now is power, but it's false power. It's a false power. It's limited power, and it's definitely temporary power, yea, even sinful power. And so it is that the world has nothing to offer us. But yet we see so many people being drawn to the world. And that's why we're drawn to the stock market. We think that's where prosperity is. My Bible tells me in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18, it tells me it is the Lord our God that gives us wealth. And then it says he gives us wealth that he might establish his covenant. So that means he doesn't give us wealth just for any happenstance so we can do what we want. But he gives us that wealth that we can take care of our needs for sure but that we can also establish his covenant that is designed to ultimately finish his work and bring Jesus back to bring his people home. But the world gets mesmerized by the stock market. They get mesmerized by mixed martial arts. They get mesmerized by all of the various R&B and hip-hop and rock and roll concerts, etc. They think those are the places where power is. And God all along says, no. God says, I have power that this world knows nothing of, but they will know it soon. God lets us know that there's a promise that's coming that soon and very soon he's going to pour out his spirit upon his people who are ready to receive it. And it's going to be so much power that John the Revelator uses this poetic language by which he says the world will be lit up with the glory of God. And this is something you and I have the privilege to be a people prepared to receive that. But what is it that we're trying to receive? Luke, the 11th chapter. The Bible says in Luke, the 11th chapter, and if you're there, please say amen. The Bible says in Luke, the 11th chapter. Now, I like this because what we're reading in Luke 11 is the same principle that we're reading in Matthew 7. It's just that in Matthew 7, it does not come out as forcefully as it does in Luke 11. And so it is that in Matthew 7, we know where it says, ask and you shall receive. Well, let's kind of get a bit more clarity on that. The Bible says in Luke, the 11th chapter, starting at verse 9, it says, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. Now, for everyone that asketh, receiveth. How many people receive? Everyone who asks. Now watch that. Everyone who asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? What do you think the answer is? No. It says, or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Of course not. Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Absolutely not. Now Jesus brings the whole lesson home in verse 13. He says, if ye then being what? Evil. 
know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? My brothers and sisters, the only way that we're going to be able to demonstrate the type of gospel power that God wants to reveal is we must understand our need for the Holy Spirit. And the reason we need the Holy Spirit is because of Acts chapter 1. Now go there. These are just simple little reminders. We'll take it a little deeper in a moment. But in Acts chapter 1, remember what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Because again, the Father is willing, just like a wicked father wants to still give a good gift to their children. And all of us are wicked if we're left to ourselves. Can you say amen to that? Is that true? We are wicked if we are left to ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But it's funny, my father, who had a wicked heart, just like I had a wicked heart, my father still loved to give good gifts to me and my seven siblings. I mean, dad would make a big to-do about it. Dad would go ahead and, and plan the surprise out. Just so I could come home and he would tell me things like, Dwayne, I'll come inside the house, Dwayne, you're on punishment. And I'm like, huh? He says, I need you to go to your room and I got to deal with you. I got to talk to you. And you do not want to face my father's wrath. And I'm like, what did I do? I just came home from school. I didn't even get a chance to do something bad. And then here it is that go to your room and wait there for me. And here it is. My heart's pounding. I'm walking up the steps, sulking and down. And then I walk inside the room and there goes a brand new cat. You thought I was going to say brand new car. No, it's a brand new cat. Dad knew how much I wanted to have that little black cat, pretty black cat. I called it Spike. And my father would just, he would always make a thing out of surprising us and giving us a good gift. And so it is that I got that cat and I'm like, Dad! And he's like, ha, ha, ha. And he's laughing and, you know, we hug each other and we're just enjoying the new member to our family. My brothers and sisters, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father want to give the Holy Spirit to them that would just ask? And when we get the Spirit of God, what's the context of it? Look at it in Acts chapter 1. In Acts 1, the Bible says it very clear. Acts 1, verses 7 and 8. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive what? Power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. My brothers and sisters, the reason that the Holy Spirit should be so central in our prayers, our thoughts, our studies, our requests, is because this is the only source of gospel power. This is the only way that God can activate the activated charcoal. This is the only way that God can literally use these remedies by which we can be instruments of healing. By the way, did you know that the Holy Spirit is the one that brings the mind of Christ to us? In other words, why was Peter able to raise Tabitha and God was in agreement? Why was it that Peter and John could go ahead and say to the man at the gate, beautiful, rise, and he got up and rose? Why is it that Paul could go to this brother who fell down dead and he just simply grabs his hand and wakes him back up to life? Why is it? Because they had the mind of God and their minds were in agreement with God. Amen. And God was in agreement with their minds. They were one. 
and God was able to communicate to them what he wanted. And they did what God wanted without a flinch and without a stitch of lack of faith. And so it is. And it's funny. Did you know the one thing that translates from both gift to fruit is faith? Is that right? The one thing that translates from both gift to fruit is faith. In other words, if you study 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's the gifts of the Spirit. But if you study Galatians 5, 22 and 23, faith is also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You understand that? That's the one that translates from both gift to fruit. And we shall not know them by their gifts, but we'll definitely know them by their fruit. My brothers and sisters, the issue with many of us is we still lack faith. We're still very timid. And the reason we're timid is because we don't still have the mind of God as we could or should. In fact, remember yesterday when we looked at the master medical missionary, Jesus? You remember that I put this little picture up there. I don't know if you caught what he said first before he went to do his medical missionary evangelistic work. It went like this. The spirit of the Lord is what? Upon me. Notice that. That's the first part of the verse. That's the first statement. In other words, this is the prereq to every medical missionary. Is the spirit of the Lord upon you? Or is it that you just simply went somewhere and got educated on how to do proper diet, proper herbs, proper hydro treatments, but your life is void of the Spirit of God? You understand that? Did your teacher even make sure that they can honestly look at you before they let you graduate and get your certificate? Did they even think to themselves, did this person demonstrate the fruit of God's Spirit in their heart? Sometimes we give people certificates because they paid a fee. And we don't want to get in no trouble. We need to get to a place that we can say, listen, we have seen your interactions. We have watched how you dealt with your fellow brethren. We have seen how you behave on the, on the farm or how you behave in the mechanical room or how you behave in all the different places. It is evident that your life is not yielding to the spirit of God. We would hurt you by allowing you to receive a certificate of completion when you are far from completed. We would like to encourage you to stay with us a little longer. We'd like to encourage you to consider these steps if you leave us. In other words, sometimes we're not even looking for that. And all we're doing is we're taking ignorant sinners and turning them into intelligent herbalists. Intelligent dietitians. People who are intelligent in various modalities while it is blazingly evident that they are still unconverted. My brothers and sisters, listen to me and listen to me carefully. When a man comes to you, when a woman comes to you, and they begin to gossip and to evil surmise their brother, and you join in and say, yeah, yeah, me too, yeah, I feel that way too, and y'all just start having a good old gossip fest, hating on your brother. You both have your brother's phone number in your phone. You both have access to your brother's email. But for some reason, you find it easier to talk to each other than it is to talk to your brother. When stuff like that happens, do you know you're on your way to hell? Let me prove it. Go to Revelation 21. Watch this. Notice what the Bible says. Did you know that if we let that stuff keep happening, because I'd love to say, oh, this happens only amongst worldlings. No, this happens amongst some of the most faithful, what appears to be faithful gospel workers. Look at what the Bible says. I'm showing sure you what the Bible says. Revelation 21. Watch this. In Revelation, the 21st chapter, I want you to watch what the text says now. And I want you to watch it clearly. 
verses 7 and 8. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, he that what? He that overcometh. Verse 7, Revelation 21, 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Amen. And I will be his God and he shall be my sons. But watch this. Verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and what else? And the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now notice that. Of many things that was listed in verse 8, one of them was called that which is abominable. Is that right? Now, same book, same chapter. Go down to the last verse. In verse 27, notice what the Bible says again, talking about that blessed new Jerusalem, the place I know we all want to go. It says in Revelation 21, it says, and there shall in no wise enter into it, talking about the new Jerusalem. It says, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that what? defileth neither whatsoever what worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life nothing that is abominable nothing that works abomination will enter into the new Jerusalem is that what the Bible says go to Proverbs 6 in Proverbs the sixth chapter watch this Proverbs we're looking at chapter 6 that's why I believe with all of my heart that it is true when I hear evangelists say heaven will be filled with surprises. There are going to be many people we thought were going to be there that won't be there. There are going to many be many people that we've already cast away from there that's going to be there. And the greatest surprise of all is if we're there. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6, right there in verse 16. Now we know nothing abominable, Revelation 21.8, and nothing that works abomination, Revelation 21.27, will enter into the new Jerusalem. Now, what does it say in Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19? The Bible says in Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, it says, these six things doth the Lord what? Hate. Yea, seven are an abomination. Watch that. Seven are an abomination unto him. What are the things that God calls hateful, that which he hates, and is an abomination? It says... A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that does what? Sows discord among brethren. Do you know that that's what gossiping does? Do you know that that's exactly what evil surmising does? We say things we don't even know is a fact. We say things we don't even know is true. Why? Because we never talk to the person that we're talking about. This is a plague that runs amongst the highest professors of present truth. So I know I'm on the right grounds for this message. God wants us to understand you and I have no hope of entering into the kingdom. If we can meet brother to brother, sister to sister, and we can talk about other brothers and other sisters, and nobody even asks the question, wow, have you taken your gripes, your beefs, your disgusts, your dislikes, have you taken all of your complaints, have you taken this to your brother? You understand that? Yet we profess such high-level religion. Don't tell me even the present truthers don't need the Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, this is the greatest source of power that we should be praying for. This is what we 
desperately need. Jesus was able to do the incredible gospel, medical, missionary, evangelistic work that he did because the spirit of the Lord was upon him. We need to make this a criterion. Did you know that even to enter into the school of the prophets, when I read the chapter School of the Prophets in the book Education, there were three things every student was supposed to be. You see, too often we pay attention to the dollar figure more than the character. There were three things every student was supposed to possess and demonstrate before they would enter into the School of the Prophets. And guess what? If that's the criterion for the student, should it not be the criterion for the worker? Do you know a worker can be the most dangerous person on earth? Because, listen, when I used to walk around my neighborhood, it's the truth. When I used to walk around my neighborhood, if I did something bad, my brother, it was not, look at what Dwayne Lemon's doing. It was not that. No, 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 no. They would say, is that Wilson Lemon's son? Did you catch what I just said? They did not say, look at what Dwayne, Vernon, Leslie, Michael, Juni, Elaine, Michelle, or Laverne are doing. They did not say what they would do. Everything was, hey, that's Wilson and Lorraine Lemons' kids. And whatever I did was a reflection of who I belonged to. My brothers and sisters, the most, the most crucial scrutiny that should be given is to somebody who says, I'd like to volunteer for your organization. The most crucial scrutiny should be, I don't care how much skills you have. That means nothing to me. It is synergy. It is, have you demonstrated conversion? But we, we as administrators, we don't even look for this. We've become so worldly that we're like, let's look at the resume. Oh, they've done X amount of years in mechanics. Let's bring them on as a mechanic. We need a mechanic. And sometimes we're not even looking for the fruit. We're not even looking for, and the next thing you know, that mechanic comes in, and when that mechanic comes in, what if they're not converted, and what if they end up molesting somebody on the property? What if they end up doing something so wicked, so unthinkable? Paul had to deal with that in 1 Corinthians, didn't he? In the, in, the, in, the Corinth, in the church of Corinth. He had to deal with that. He said, there are sins that are happening in the church of Corinth that has not even been so much as named among Gentiles. You are sleeping with your father's wife. Even Gentiles are like, that is crazy. You understand that? So the Bible says that's the first qualifier for anyone who's a medical missionary. Any place that is a medical missionary institute, people should be able to walk the grounds and say, I sense the presence of Jesus here. They shouldn't just say, oh, boy, there's a lot of intelligent folks who really know how to read blood and really know how to read diagnostic this and diagnostic. Listen, that's all fine and dandy. Those are the ancillaries. Those will come. But that's the number one thing every health guest should be able to say is, I sense the presence of God's spirit with these doctors. I sense the presence of, when Jesus walked in the neighborhood, you remember that chapter in, uh, in uh, Desire of Ages as a child. I mean, I had to think about it. I mean, I, I love reading because I'm a high school dropout and I hated reading. The Seventh-day Adventist church got me interested in reading, okay? And it's like, and for real, this church, this movement, this message got this ignorant black boy interested in reading. And it's like, and once I got hooked, I got hooked. And when I read, I, I imagine people, people 
read and think through the imagination. So pictures start coming up in our head. So when I'm reading Desire of Ages as a child and I'm reading how Jesus would walk in a neighborhood and it says people would be more cheered by his presence. They'd hear him singing when he's walking down the streets. I said to my mind, I said, that's pretty nice. I actually said, you know what? I mean, I'm not as young as him when he did that, but I think I could do that. I could walk through my neighborhood and great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. I can do that. But the next part says even the creatures of the grove were more cheerful as a result of his presence. I said, a squirrel? You know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm imagining through the reading. You understand that? A squirrel? A bird? You know, I'm thinking, more cheerful? So now, walking through the neighborhood, great is thy faith. I'm looking at the chipmunks. I'm looking at the, I'm looking. I want to see. Lord, can you touch, can so much of the presence of God be with a man and with a woman that it's not just people, but it's things that are actually touched? by our presence. This is what Christ, can you imagine this is what Jesus is trying to reproduce in sinful flesh like you and I. So when I'm looking at this, that is the most crucial part about the verse. And a lot of times we pass that and we focus on all of this because he has anointed me to preach, to heal, to preach, recover. I got to get into the preaching, teaching, healing work. And we're so ready to get into the work without making sure that the spirit of the Lord is upon us. My brothers and sisters, this is key. This is key. Is the spirit of the Lord upon me? Because I can assure you, if we're still gossiping, if we're still hating, if we're still bickering, if we're still fussing, if we're still fighting, if we are still non-cooperative, if we still have a backbiting spirit, how can we say that we are vessels ready to be filled with the spirit of God? It's impossible. It's impossible. Listen, ladies, I don't care how long your skirt is. You could still be a pervert. Is that straight enough for you? Listen to what I'm saying to you, family. There are women who can dress right but have the heart of a harlot. And there's only one thing that can get rid of that harlot's heart, and that's the Holy Spirit. You understand that? Gentlemen, we can dress nice and all this other stuff, but we can be perverts and practice wicked perversions in our privacy, especially with our high-speed internet and our new large-screen PDA phones. And we can fall into some of the devil's death traps and the following day preach the gospel. My brothers and sisters, we have to understand we need the Spirit of the Lord to be upon us. You see, Watch this. Go to John 17. Notice what the Bible says. John 17. This, this is beautiful. I praise the Lord for redirecting my mind. In John 17, I want you to watch what the Bible says. John 17. God knew somebody needs this. Somebody needs this. John 17. I want you to watch the words of Jesus. I want you to watch it very carefully as we study the word of God. John 17. Because There's power he wants to give, but there's a higher cooperation that he needs. In John 17, the Bible says, in John 17, verse 18, if you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, as. Now, that word as means in like manner, okay? As thou hast sent me into the world, 
even so, in like manner, have I sent them into the world. Is that right? Okay. So, understanding this, this prayer was for who? Well, it's twofold. This prayer was directly for the disciples, right? But if you go down to uh, verse 20, it says right there that it went beyond the disciples that was present with them. Because it says in verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Okay? So that includes all of us. So Jesus was praying for the 11 there, but he was also praying for every single one of us down to 2017. All right? Now, understanding this, let's take a look at how he was sent. Acts 10. So go to Acts the 10th chapter. Look at how Christ was sent. The Bible says in the book of Acts, the 10th chapter, and I want you to watch this because this is, this is so, so, so important, my brothers and sisters. Acts chapter 10. God wants to do something special. We need to be delivered. And the Lord has enough power still to deliver each and every one of us, if we're willing to be delivered. The Bible says in Acts, the 10th chapter, we're considering verse 38. And the Bible says how God did what? Anointed. Now, remember that, because if we looked at the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Right. So look at this. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. So when you get the Holy Ghost, you have power. It says he anointed us with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing how many? Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So notice that when Jesus came to this earth, the father sent him. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost. Therefore, he had power and it enabled him to do good and to heal all sorts of manners of problems. You understand that? Now, Jesus says, as I've been sent, so I'm sending you. So again, we're showing from the Bible how imperatively, uh, how imperative it is that we must make sure that we are recipients of God's Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God that we might have power to do good, to truly do good to others. Okay? Now, let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, notice what the Bible says. It's an inference. Luke chapter 9. In Luke, the ninth chapter, now let's consider verses 1 and 2. Luke 9, and we're looking at verses 1 and 2. Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, if you're there, say amen. amen. Luke 9, 1 and 2, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. My brothers and sisters, as Christ was sent, so he sent them. They received a measure of the spirit of God and they had power to cure diseases. Later on, when you study the Bible, you'll see in John 21 or John 20 that Jesus again breathed on them more the Holy Spirit and then, of course, in the book of Acts, they get a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the early rain. All right. Spirit of God, more and still more growing in God's spirit. This is an imperative. So we need to start asking ourselves, Lord, have I made it a priority to make sure that I am a recipient of your spirit, that I might go and effectively minister to others? Because, you know, that's one of the best things you can give somebody. 
is a knowledge and, an, and, a, and a revelation of the influence of God's spirit upon your heart. Did you know that? The reason why is if you write this, write this down, medical ministry page 12, if you write down medical, medical ministry page 12, we're told the influence of the Holy Spirit is the very best medicine for every sick man and sick woman. Did you catch that? The influence of the Holy Spirit is the very best medicine to be given to a sick man or sick woman. You see, if I'm influenced by the Spirit of God, I know better how to articulate how someone else can be influenced by the Spirit of God. And that is the very best medicine. I remember when I would teach my medical missionary classes, I would ask the question to the students. I would say, question, does the Bible show us that, the Holy, that, that healing is connected with the Holy Spirit? And they would say, well, yes. And I'll say, where? And a lot of times, famine in the land. We don't know where to go. And that's a problem. And that is a problem that we ought not laugh at unless you know where you, you, know where you need to go. Why do I say that? Because we're told in the book, volume five, of the Testimonies to the Church, page 707. It's under the chapter, Mysteries of the Bible. And in volume five of the Testimonies to the Church, page 707, it says there are many who profess to have a knowledge of present truth who really do not know what they believe. Then, after that sentence, here's the qualifier. After that sentence, it says, they do not understand the evidences of their faith. That's the crisis. Some of us are watching too much YouTube. Some of us are listening to too much Audioverse. Some of us are watching too much 3ABN. And what's happening is these networks meant for good are now crowding out our time for personal devotion. Audioverse is meant to be a blessing, but every sermon on Audioverse is designed to push you to get more into personal devotion. If that doesn't happen, then we at Audioverse are missing something. You understand that? Our desire as speakers on Audioverse is to help you see, I need to know how to walk with Jesus myself. I need to study the show myself approved unto God. And if we allow morning conference calls, there's so many people today that's on all these morning conference calls, letting somebody else do your devotions for you. And you wonder, why am I so weak? Why is it I don't have enough gospel power? I listen to a thousand sermons, why am I so weak? That doesn't even make sense. You can't go to Jesus and ask that kind of question. Jesus is gonna say, listen, this is life eternal, that you, might know God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Not know of him through the testimony of another, but know him for yourself. And what happens is some of us know how to repeat what we heard from our favorite evangelists on YouTube, 3ABN, Audioverse, and all those morning calls. But very, very few know how to say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. By the way, I said very few of us know how to say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So first, you got people that don't even know what to say. That's a crisis. Then you got others who actually say, well, Pastor Blank said, Evangelist Blank said, that's another crisis. Now, believe it or not, this is also a crisis. It's just, it's just more mild than the others. Some of us only know how to say, listen to my words, some of us only know how to say, Desire of Ages says. Volume 5 of the Testimony says. 
Gospel worker says. Some of us only know, and if Ellen White were alive, she'd rebuke you. She would rebuke you. How do I know that? Great Controversy 589. In Great Controversy 589, the prophet of God says, but God will have a people who will use the Bible and the Bible alone as the standard for all doctrine and the basis for all reforms. I know it's a lot of women here wear a lot of dresses. If you wear a lot of dresses, I'm happy for you. But my question is this. Do you know how to pick this up and explain that to the Baptist who might ask you the question, why do you always, always wear dresses? Do you know how to answer the Baptist? Or the pen? You can't say the pen of inspiration says. You can't say the spirit of prophecy says. You can't say that to the Baptist. You can't say that to the Pentecostal. You can't say that to the non-denominationalist. Because if you say our prophet says, they're going to say, well, our prophet says. And now you're going to have a big prophet fight. So my point is, I know you believe in this, don't you? So what if I could show you from the Bible why God says dress reform? You understand? Oh, there's very, few, there's very few people that know how to do that, and there's even far less medical missionaries that know how to do this. Listen, I've met thousands of medical missionaries over my time in these 25 years in this movement, and if there's one thing I've discovered about a lot of medical missionaries is they are not very good Bible students. That's a bold statement, isn't it? You better not say nothing like that unless you know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Seriously, I go, I've been to several medical missionary institutes in this country and out of this country, and you sit down with them one by one. In fact, some of the strangest ideas come from medical missionaries. Wow. Believe all sorts of interesting things. Wow. Hey, I got a new way to look at the Bible. I'm like, oh, here we go. Okay, go ahead, brother, what you got? And, and, and I know, Father, bring it back to me, because I know we're going to probably have to go down a path of correction. We have to understand that we got to get back to that blueprint of Scripture. That's tomorrow's message. We'll talk about it. But the point is this. We need the Spirit of God that we might do a faithful work. And if we have the Spirit of God, it should be revealed. You see, go to Romans 1 again. Let me remind you of what Romans 1 says. Got to bring out some final points here. Romans 1. Let, let's look back at Romans 1 because yesterday we talked about how there's a problem in our world. The beast power is going to use the healing work and miraculous work to mesmerize and dazzle the minds of the people in the church and in the world by which they are going to give a message that's going to set up the image of the beast and bring on the mark of the beast in a Sunday law crisis. This is exactly what's being done right now, and it's blowing up even more now that we've got hurricanes all over the place and everything else. Everybody's going to say, we need to come back to God. By the way, that's biblical. Did you know that? Where did I say to go? Hold your finger on Romans 1 very, very quickly. Go to Nehemiah 13. Let me show you that it's biblical. They're going to use a biblical argument but they're just going to twist it with the devil's sophistry. Watch this. In Nehemiah chapter 13. Your finger's on Romans 1, but go to Nehemiah, and we're looking at chapter 13. I'm going to show you that it's biblical. They're going to use a biblical argument, but they're going to mingle it with Satan's sophistry. Watch this. Nehemiah, we're in what chapter? Very good. Chapter 13. Now watch what the Bible says in Nehemiah 13. The Bible says it right there, verses 15 to 18. Pay attention to the text. In Nehemiah 13, 15 through 18, the Bible says, In those days saw I and Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath. 
and bringing in sheaves and lading asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manners of burden which they brought into Jerusalem on what day? The Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, what, what kind of thing? What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Now watch verse 18. Did not your fathers thus, didn't they do the same thing? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon the city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Did Israel suffer calamity? Did Israel suffer judgment as a result of profaning the Sabbath? The Bible is clear on that. The beast power is going to use this same argument, but instead of saying Saturday Sabbath, they're going to say Sunday. So now Hurricane Jose getting ready to hit the Northeast. Hurricane Maria, is it? Hurricane Maria coming up as well. Every time, that's why I'm telling you, Luke 21, uh, Luke 21, 24 to like 27, very important for us to look at, especially that word perplexity. And literally, every time there's a natural disaster, it has a direct impact on the economy. Is that right? Billions and billions and billions. More and more monopoly money has to be paid out. We are a broke nation, and we're living on believe money, and sooner or later, belief is going to turn into reality. And what's going to happen is we're going to be in an economic crisis, even worse, and they're going to say, how do we get out of this economic crisis? How do we get out of all this natural disaster stuff? How do we get out of all of these things? And some genius is going to come along and say, I have a solution. Men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath. It is this sin that has brought forth calamities, and these things will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced. This is literally the verbiage of Great Controversy, page 590. So we can see where everything is lining up. And there's even more. But my point is this. While the beast is doing his work, God's people need to be doing their work. But we can't do God's work except we're anointed. We need to have the spirit of the Lord upon us. Now, whenever we receive the gospel, God is ready to give his spirit. Can you say amen to that? Whenever we're ready to receive the gospel, God's ready to give his spirit to us to empower us now to share the gospel. But watch this. In Romans 1, what did it say in verses 16 and 17? Look at the overall goal of God in the gospel. In Romans 1, 16, very familiar text I would imagine to many of us, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Verse 17. For therein, in the gospel, it says, is the what of God? The righteousness of God. What's the next word? So wait a minute. When God gives us the gospel, is it to be contained in our hearts? No. The verse says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So my brother talks to you and I last night about the third angel's message being justification by faith in verity. What is that? It's the work of God, of laying the glory of man in the dust. That's a hard work. We make that work hard. Hence, it's hard for God. 
laid the glory of man in the dust, and then God can do for man that which it is impossible for him to do for itself. That's the principle of the third angel's message, because there's no level of human genius that's going to get us through this crisis. There's no level of human genius that's going to accomplish it. I don't care how smart you are or how smart you think you are. I don't care how resourceful you are. You can buy a thousand guns and sit in your rocking chair waiting for the beast and his imps to show up. And the devil make you turn that gun on yourself and pull the trigger. My brothers and sisters, this is not a battle of flesh and blood. This is serious principality and powers and spiritual wickedness in very, very high places. We have nothing in us that can fight this fight. We are going to need God to do for us what we can't do for, our, for ourselves, but he first must lay our glory in the dust. Now watch this. Considering that, when I think about the gospel, it's God's power, unlimited, that he wants to reveal as his children walk from faith to faith, for the just shall live by faith. And so that means that there should be some demonstration of the spirit of God in your life and in my life. The spirit of God is gentle. Are you still rough? You understand that? The influence of God's spirit is gentle. The influence of God's spirit is willing to forgive the worst of sinners. Have you forgiven the worst of your offenders? The spirit of God has a fruit called love, and love is willing to suffer your penalty and give you his reward. Humility. Are you willing to suffer for others' sake? Maybe even to lay down your life for a bunch of people that don't even appreciate you, let alone don't even say thank you. Do you serve like that, family? These are things that God makes very clear is the fruit of his spirit. And this is what God says, I want my people to understand that the sooner that they can do this, the better they'll do medical missionary work. Somebody says, Brother Lemon, great sermon, man, but how does this connect back to medical missionary work? Well, it's very simple. We're told in order to be purified and then to remain pure, it says Seventh-day Adventists must have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. But watch this. You want to know the best place to know if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart? Go to Luke chapter 2. In truth, we haven't even scratched the surface with this sermon yet. In tr- this study is much deeper than we think. I'm telling you, God gave it to me this morning. And I said, thank you, Lord. Because I said, Father, we need something special. This heart crisis that I went through, this thing woke me up in more ways than you know. I'm serious. The heart surgery that took place in my physical heart, God did a heart surgery right here. And it, it, I'm telling you, man, in order to be purified and to remain pure. So that means you can't live off of yesterday's blessings. You can't say, yeah, I remember when God purified me. I, can't, I remember when God did this for me back in X year or what have you. In order to be purified and to remain pure, Seventh-day Adventists must have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. But watch this, Luke 2. The Bible also says in Luke 2, Right there in verses 51 and 52. The Bible says in Luke 2, 51 and 52, talking about that wonderful medical missionary example, Jesus. Hope you love looking at him. I so love looking at him. 
It says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Talking about his parents. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was about his father's business outside of the home. But Jesus, according to the text, was about his father's business inside the home. We have to understand that the greatest manifestation of the spirit of God must be seen in our homes. Must be seen in our homes. Watch this. It says right here, oh my, that's a terrible thing that happened there because I, I want y'all to see this. Is there another way to fix that? Because I, I want my friend. Okay, y'all can see that there? Well, let me get out of your way because I want to make sure y'all see. I know the devil's mad at this. Watch this. In order to be purified and to remain pure, Seventh-day Adventists must have the Holy Spirit in their hearts, but the quote goes on to say, and in their homes. Listen to this. Watch this. Seventh-day Adventists must have the Holy Spirit in their hearts and in their homes. Now, if somebody says, how in the world does this tie back to medical missionary work? Because watch this. It says right here, going on, the Lord has given me light that when the Israel of today humble themselves before him and cleanse the soul temple from all defilement, he will hear their prayers in behalf of the sick and will bless in the use of his remedies for disease. You mean to tell me the lack of the Spirit of God in my heart and in my home hinders me from saying to somebody that comes to Uchi Pines, Meat Ministry, Wildwood, any other organization, you mean to tell me that the lack of the Spirit of God in my heart and in my home is the reason why some of us cannot say, such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. God says yes. God says yes. How could you leave your home frustrated with your wife and go to the sanitarium and try to heal other women? How could you leave your home angry at your husband and then go to the sanitarium to try to be an instrument to heal another man? God says, how could that be? God says, the power is limited because we lack his presence in our hearts and in our homes. It's a strange thing, but it seems like in our homes, we lose our temper with our own family members very quickly. But outside of the home, we are extra patient with a whole bunch of people that might still get on our nerves. God says, why is it that the person outside your home gets the better you? Did you make a covenant to have and to hold with all these people outside your home? Did you make a covenant to love them for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do you part? Is that the covenant you made with them? No, we made that covenant with that person that was right inside of our house. But that person gets the worst of us while the people outside get the best of us. What kind of nonsense is that? And then we have the nerve to say, Mad at you, I'm angry at you, this, this, this. You, you know what? We'll finish this tonight. I got to go to work because I got to go be a blessing to some of these people in the sanitary. <laughs> it's not that he doesn't want to pour out his spirit. It's not that he does not want to truly endow us with power that will even win our hearts closer to Jesus. But God says you got to have the spirit of God in your heart. And if he's in your heart, then he's going to be in your home. 
And the reason we know this to be true is because it is blazingly clear. The restoration uplifting of humanity begins in the home. That's where it begins, family. Jesus understood this. He mastered serving in his home for 30 years. That's why it only took three and a half to finish the work. He mastered it. He mastered it. He was an excellent son. He was an excellent brother. And I can assure you, had he been married on earth, he would have been an excellent husband because he's definitely a spiritual one. My brothers and sisters. And guess what? Jesus was an excellent wife. You know why? Because he was a member of the church. And the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of God. Jesus understood family. Everything that I must be begins in my house. And then, when we're finished in my house, I can better express these same virtues to all the precious souls that I'm called to minister to. My hope and my prayer for each and every one of us is very, very simple. Ask yourself the question, have I demonstrated the character quality of God's spirit towards my husband, towards my wife, towards my children. You know, one of the things that I really, really, really love about my family is we have family meetings. And when those family meetings take place, we are brutally honest with each other. Not in a disrespectful way, but we're honest with each other. What is it that you think needs to be improved with father, with mother, or with each other, etc.? Because, you know, children naturally want you to know that you're the greatest dad in the world, even though sometimes you know in your mind, I'm not the greatest dad in the world. I know where I failed. But our children have this incredible, like, childlike love and forgiveness that even in spite of our errors, they just love us anyhow and just, listen, I don't harbor anything in my heart. You my dad. You my hero. And I do appreciate that. But I also let my children know, while as much as I love you for saying these things to daddy, the truth of the matter is, is that I want to be better. I want to be better. And I know I can be better. And I need you to help me be better. What is it that's more of daddy you would like to see? In the midst of me being a great dad, as you call me, what is it that you would like to see more of? And that's when they'll go ahead and they'll, what I'd like to see is more of this. And they'll, they'll tell you. They'll tell you if you, if you position it like that. Because children naturally will just say, you're a great dad, you're a great mom, you're a great, 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 great. Husband and wife. I always get to ask my wife, honey, am I being the house band that God has called me to be to you? A good time to do that is on anniversaries. That's a different way of spending an anniversary. And you go ahead on that anniversary. Have I been the house band? You see, if, listen, I came, I came face to face with death. You know what I'm saying? It's like, they made it clear, like, Mr. Lemon, you could go into atrial fibrillation right in the surgery. Your heart could just stop. You could die. They didn't see it happening. They were like, you know, we don't see it happening. So, I mean, I had a lot of stuff on my mind because I've never faced death. I've been shot at. I had a shotgun, sawed-off shotgun, boom, shot right at me. But I'm an ignorant young teenager. So, you know, when they shot it at me, I'm just like, uh-oh, I'm going to die. And I didn't get hit. 
So I'm just kind of like, whoo, whoa, I'm lucky. Back to sinning. So that, that was my youthful, ignorant lifestyle. That's how I lived. So yes, I've been shot at with a shotgun. I've been shot at with a nine millimeter Glock pistol. I've been hit by a bus going full speed. I've had many encounters by which I should have died. God foresaw one day this ignorant, crazy boy, he's going to be my evangelist. Praise the Lord. Get to gospel work. Learned a whole lot through this process. Truly, evangelism is given to win the evangelist. And I go into this hospital, and I, I mean, I, you know, I'm like, I've never been admitted into a hospital. Never. So now death is on my mind like never before. And I'm thinking I'm about to cancel out of this planet. And that was hard. Because in my mind, I'm preparing for the 144,000. And now, for the first time in my life, I said, I think I might not be part of that group. And I had to deal with all of that, all that comes with that. My family, what I have learned today marks nine months since my surgery. I feel great. I'm, I'd, I'd be lying if I were to say otherwise. I feel great. God has done something very special. You don't understand. The doctor put on the note. I'm a, this is a miracle standing in front of you. The doctor put on the note when he did his transesophical echocardiogram, his TEE, and put that tube down my throat, looked directly at my heart valve. He told my wife, your husband's heart is so badly regurgitating that he can't even walk up a flight of steps without being absolutely exhausted. He did not know that I was going running up and down the steps. He did not know that I was walking briskly for two miles in less than 28 minutes. He didn't know any of that. But he told my wife, he, your husband's messed up. Then he says, and his heart valve, forget it. It is irreparable. Can't be repaired. It's going to have to be replaced, and we're going to need to do a mechanical valve. I'm going to have to be on Coumadin for the rest of my life. That's what he wrote on the paper. We have the paper. I go to my surgeon. Surgeon, does he get the last say? Nope. Surgeon says, I get the last say. Okay. We go in to see the surgeon. He looks at the TEE report. He says, Mr. Lemon, we have a problem. He says, not only do you have a badly regurgitating mitral valve, he says, you also have a regurgitating aortic valve. He said, Mr. Lemon, we, can't, we cannot repair this. We're going to have to go mechanical. And he put his hands like this. He says, and I will not do anything else. And we saw providence after providence after providence that God was leading in the path of repair, which is the best thing you could have for your valve. When Dr. Wong told me that, I looked at my wife. My wife is looking down because I know she's broken. I'm broken. And all of a sudden, it was like the voice so clear, like you could hear my voice in this room. The voice said, tell him now. And I knew exactly what that meant. I said, Dr. and Sister Wong, question. I know a man who went to London. When he went to London, he went there to preach. They were Seventh-day Adventists, by the way. They went to preach, and when the person went to preach, he went to bed Friday night, started to grunt a little bit. The wife woke up, checked on him, saying, hey, are you okay? The husband was completely non-responsive. His heart stopped. He did not get oxygen to his brain for 30 minutes. What's the prognosis of anybody like that? We got a, a, a neurologist here. What's, what's the prognosis if somebody doesn't get 30 minutes? They're gone. 
He said, yep, that person's gone. They're dead. Vegetable, at best, dead more than likely. I said, I agree. That same person will be here Monday for my surgery. That same person, Thomas Jackson, is going to be there for my surgery to pray with you and to pray for me that God will anoint us. And when you meet him, you'll see that he's in sound mind and body. I said, Dr. Wong, God did a miracle on behalf of Thomas Jackson. Do you believe that God can use your hands to do a miracle on that which man has said is irreparable? He looked down on the ground. He looked at the screen with my heart on it. He looked down at the ground, and he looked at the screen with my heart on it. And he said, I think we can repair it. I looked him in the eyes. I said, Dr. Wang, I know you can repair it because the master surgeon will be in the room guiding your hand. My brothers and sisters, when I went in that OR, I gave my potential final prayer. I said, Lord, if this is unto death, I confess my sins. I ask you to please cleanse me. And I pray that the next voice I hear will be the trumpet sound when you shall come. But if this surgery is not unto death, your presence must be in this room. You must anoint every single individual. You must guide the hands of these ones. And I ask you to perform your miracle. They put that anesthesia in and I went to sleep. And I remember the next thing I heard was a beautiful voice. Oh, so beautiful. It was right here in my left ear. And the voice said, I love you. I love you. It was my bride. And I thought, I'm not dead. <laughs> I made it. And then she said, he repaired both vows. And I remember smiling in my mind. And here it is nine months later. The prognosis looks very good. He said, oh, Mr. Lemmy, he said, we, we worked real hard on it. He says, you should be good to go. He says, we probably don't even have to see you for maybe another 10, 20 years. And I just said, Father, if you did this miracle on my behalf, that means my life has purpose. That means there's something that you raised me up to accomplish. And for these nine months, I've been on my knees just really seeking God. Lord, how do you want to use me now? You've already used me in the past. Obviously, it wasn't enough. You allowed all of this to happen. My brothers and sisters, I'm here to let you know there's more power. He wants to do something special in us. But it can't happen until we receive the Spirit of God in our hearts and first and foremost, let him be manifested in our homes. If you have unforgiveness still in your heart, you must settle it. You can't be saved and you can't be trusted with God's spirit the way he wants to give it until you settle it. If it's your husband, if it's your wife, if it's your children, if it's your siblings, if it's your parents, if it's extended family, even the uncle who touched you in an inappropriate way, even in the abusive, neglectful father, 
even in the indulging mother. Whoever it is that you might blame to date for messing your life up. God says, if I had a heart like that, you and I would not be able to enter into the kingdom. We murdered his innocent son. We didn't murder him once. Every time we sin, we crucify him afresh and bring to him an open shame. We are serial killers. We have a lot of blood on our hands. And if we think that we can't and won't forgive those who have damaged us, God says, then how can I forgive you who have damaged my son? And so, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is standing with a big teddy bear behind his back. A big blessing, big power. But he first says, my son, give me thine heart. Let thine eyes observe my ways. And when he says, give me thine heart, please understand the text. The Bible says Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. So what he's not asking you is to give him your heart, because you and I can't give him our heart. What we can do is give him permission to come in. We can consent. I give you permission to come in, Lord. Take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is your property now. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for you. Lord, save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me and fashion me and raise me to a holy atmosphere where only, 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 only the rich currents of your love can flow through my soul. That's how you'll forgive. That's how you'll be able to embrace the offenders, embrace your brothers. That's how you'll be able to get to that next step on Jacob's ladder where God says, Father, they're ready. And now he's going to pour out his spirit in a marked manner that even we as the workers will be surprised at the power of the gospel. How many of you want this? If we can, let's go to our knees. Let's ask the Lord to do something special for our heart. Father in heaven, we need you. We always did. But maybe today you've helped us finally see a little bit clearer how much we do. Truly, without Jesus, we can do nothing. We cannot demonstrate true love, true joy, true peace, true long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We need your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for making him something we ask for at different times. Please, Lord, teach us all throughout the day to truly say more and more of thy spirit. We ask, dear God, that you will show us how to love our wives as Christ loved the church. To show wives how to truly love and reverence their husbands as the church is to do with Christ. To show us as parents not to provoke our children to wrath, especially because we're so busy working even for the gospel. Please, Father, forgive us where we have erred and give us just enough grace to redeem the time. We know the days are evil and they're getting worse, but we thank you for allowing us to hear your voice today. Abide with us, O God. Grant us truly thy spirit. Help us to have the mind of Jesus Christ. 
and may we manifest his character, for as a man thinks in his mind, so is he. So let it be done, we pray, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.